0: Quarantine. of What The Quarantine does contain themes and topics which may be offensive, provocative or controversial to some listeners. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello to you all, this is episode 4 of What The Quarantine, or WTQ. This is the podcast where you've got one man who is unafraid to use his microphone to talk about anything and everything that is happening in the world of COVID-19. So you have to be warned. You will not be able to, to steer clear of what it is I am going to be talking to you or telling you about this set subject by me or by the guests that you're going to hear in this episode, not that I'm putting it out there that I am forcing you to listen to anything that I am trying to, to, um, to manufacture in every single episode of this podcast. I do my best and I really do put a lot into it and I do grow quite restless <laughs> and become exhausted that I don't have enough energy to get through wanting to put together the next episode. But I'm getting through it. And if it's any indication with the easing of the lockdown restrictions across the country with Australia, despite the mangled confusion that it has intercepted or glazed right over... The collective minds of every person that lives in this (laughs) lives where it is that I am or anywhere else. (laughs) As and when it comes to COVID 19, I need to give you another update. With me being here in South Australia, I can't tell what's going on around the around, uh, I can't tell what's going on with the other states and territories, but at the moment. The national rate of those confirmed or diagnosed with the virus stands at just under 7,000. 97 have have been confirmed as the many people who have died from COVID-19 symptoms. And here in South Australia, the number of people who have been recorded as having the virus still remains at 439, as from this day that I am recording this episode. Really, really am thankful that we haven't had a huge influx of clusters that have developed in, in certain parts throughout the metropolitan area, in the capital cities, or any of the regional rural townships or cities that are scattered throughout this part of the continent, but I do spare a thought for my friends and acquaintances and their families on what and how they are getting through this whole crisis, just to let you know that we are going to get through this, and there is a light at the end of a very long tunnel. It's not a alpine tunnel, as the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson guiltily put it when he was doing his press conference the other day. But it is still a very long tunnel that we need to be able to get to the other side for everyone to receive what it is we have to, to eradicate the spread of COVID-19 whether that is a a treatment concoction or a vaccine that's been tested by all the the regulatory agencies and departments both from state territory and federal government departments oh well anyhow we're, gonna, we're not going to dwell on this we're going to get on to what this you you're all here for and that is another episode with a guest who is going to replenish your ears over the next few minutes, or should I say 40 minutes, with what is going on with a certain minority group or, or subcultural group here, right here in Australia. I got a chance to, to sit down with the one and only LGBTIQ plus activist and advocate, domestic violence campaigner, all-round sex god of, of Instagram, <laughs> for all the bears there everywhere, <laughs> and just an all-round an introvert softy, or a scruffy introvert, I should put the proper definition of how I would describe the, the level of hairiness that Daniel has, or that, that he possesses. I was able to talk to him about how he is getting through the unfortunate detractors from what is happening currently with this pandemic. We also talk about how it is to communicate either inside your house or when you want to just come out if you want to from from your front door as a natural born introvert whether you have a disability or you are non-disabled or neurotypical or anything of the like we find out how it is that you can channel those techniques and those skills that so uh, so many of us within the introvert community have have acquired through many years of having to keep ourselves hidden and isolated from the outside world. And and just a little thing to, to, to cap it all off, we also take a trip down memory lane to our 10-year mutual association and friendship within Australia's social political advocacy and activism sector. Starting with a little workshop that I was invited to take part in for the marriage equality campaign back in 2010. So here we go. Here is Mr Daniel Whithouse. And here we are. This is the fourth episode of WTQ and I'm here with a man who who needs no introduction, Daniel Whithouse.
1: Hey, going there, Daniel? I am so excited to be one of your guests. Um, I, I must admit I've listened to your other podcasts. As I texted you um, and I tell the listeners now, I, I have literally been laughing out loud. So you, you've made people look at me when I'm walking along with you uh, on my earpods as I walk along listening to podcasts as I walk and I just want to say thank you for your show so far. So I'm excited to be a part of the, the revolution
0: Yes, I do try to evolve people's mindsets, each and every one of them. And I just can't believe that I cause that kind of subversive reaction from you when it comes to listening to my podcast.
1: And also um, the fact that you provide a a platform for so many different voices during this time. I think that there's a lot of us that um, are sitting and staring at a wall wondering what we're going to do and how we're going to get through. And I think it it says a lot about you that you're actually creating and creating a platform for others. So, again, um, top work for you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, this is why I'm doing (laughs) that. Just not only giving something for everyone to ingest and to incense within their hollowness and the and the senseless feelings of not being able to do anything because of the lockdown measures due to COVID-19. And I think you yes. told me before before we started this interview that you have been having a few I will call it transgressions or a few little light.
1: Were you thinking of challenges or? Um,
0: challenges and inconsistencies with having to get through this lockdown because I know in Victoria you're at level four.
1: Yeah, well, look, we're, we're super locked down um, and at the time of recording this, we're on the 10th of May and um, tomorrow on the 11th of May, we're going to hear about what's going what's gonna to happen next and what restrictions may or may not be lifted. But we're we're pretty much stay at home, don't leave home unless you have to. And I think that everybody everybody is feeling it. But I, I think it's really interesting at the moment because you've got this national consistency and I'm not sure what it's like in other countries, but each state is doing it differently, like your your state of South Australia, for example. And I think that all of my friends and family are looking at the other states, wishing that they were being told that they can gathering more, you know, with, with, with greater numbers and they're able to go and play community sport, etc. And Victoria will not announce that until tomorrow. But I think it's part of, I can feel it even myself that I'm really, really, really eager and enthusiastic to have some restrictions lifted. <laughs> um, and and, and finger, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can tell by the intensity of your voice that you do want to you want to see the lockdown ceased and you want to be able to see everyone that you haven't been able to to see because because of the social distancing rules that had to be put in place because of the pandemic how have you your family your friends been coping since the pandemic has hit australia
1: Yeah, look, look, I think the story of going into lockdown has been an interesting one because, you know, like personally, you know, I'm probably like you. I have lots of friends who are overseas and I was watching this happen around the world. And I was actually starting to get quite anxious that Australia was not uh, not locking down and that Australia wasn't, you know, wasn't putting in all the measures. And I so, so when lockdown happened, I actually felt relieved. But I know that some of my family and friends didn't feel the same way. Because they were, they didn't have a sense of what was happening in Italy and the UK and you know these other places, you know, in Europe. So I think everyone adjusted differently around me. But what I will say is that I had to have some very, very probably the sternest words I've I've had in many many years with my family about keeping themselves safe. You know, those people who are in high risk groups to to, to kind of say stop circulating yourselves. Um, I think now that. Once everyone went into lockdown, I think everybody, you know, they, everybody had you know, shelter, they had food, they had some ability to work from home or some income or whatever that might be. So, so I think that, you know, once that was clear, everyone was, was just equally as bored with each other you know, and themselves um, and, and, and just doing what, you know, just doing what they could. I mean, I know I, I've always had a, Jared, this list of things that I will do if I had another 24 hours in the day or, you know, those those one day I'm going to do this, this and this. And it's interesting that I've done some of those during these unprecedented global pandemic times. But there's also some projects where I've I've found out that it doesn't matter how much time I've got, I'm never going to do them. So, you know. I'm never going to organize my sock drawer or all these these other kinds of things. Yeah. But it's, it's been good. I've been trying to learn uh, or improve my German. Um, I've been trying to write. I've been trying to, I, I think I've been trying to focus on what I can control. So I'm not sure about you, but, but I've just been trying to, to do the right things like drink enough water, make sure I exercise and, you know, all these boring things, get to bed at the same time. But what I will say about that is that it's really helped my mood. I think that if I didn't do those things, I'd be even more bored and painful.
0: Mm. (laughs) Do you see that if people don't keep up with wanting to maintain their physical and mental health, that they could find themselves uh, becoming more constricted and they're really apprehensive about what is happening or, or what will happen if we get over or if we do survive this pandemic
1: yeah yeah well look look fingers crossed we do survive when we get out the other side I mean I you you asked about the the physical and mental health and look I I know that everybody's different but but for me if I don't look after myself physically and get enough sleep and water and and movements you know whether that be Physical exercise or a walk or whatever—it really impacts on me. So I have a lot of ner- nervous energy, and the two ways I get my nervous energy out is through writing every single day, but also through physical exercise. And I can tell you, if I don't do that for a couple of days, I really, really start to feel it. And I—I um, I live alone. You know, I'm—I'm I'm lucky enough to have my my own place, but but living alone means I have a lot of conversations with myself. <laughs> um, I'm not afraid to. I'm not afraid to say. I have, I have conversations with myself out loud all the time. I often think of you know if my neighbors my my neighbors must think that there are multiple people in my apartment. But I I do have conversations, and I find that you know if I'm not getting that nervous energy out, um, you know there's a, there's only me talking to me, and they're probably not productive conversations all the time. So. I am um, really focusing on that and I can only imagine that's the same for other people. I mean, I, I know that there's, there's lots of, um you know, people who joke on social media about how much they're eating and drinking, but I've just tried to be, I'm, I mean, look, I'm not a monk. I don't think I'm a monk, but I've just been trying to make sure I I stay as healthy as possible because I know that there's a connection between my, my physical health and my mental health.
0: Well, I haven't been able to have a chance. Well, I do do a bit of walking, trying to keep, my, every part of my body moving and making sure that it's not going to be stagnant or even becoming quite stiff and having and not been able to stiff and being quite painful to be able to move, to to get myself out of bed or be able to go anywhere in my unit. Because I am, I also live alone. I'm in my own open concept studio styled unit that used to be in the garage <laughs> and my parents' property in oaklands park in south australia for where i live and yeah it has been I haven't really had to have any problems adjusting as such because i do tend to kind of enjoy um having my own having to live as a introvert and not being able to engage in many hypered um very like strenuous social activities because I don't do too well when it comes to big crowds. And even when I talk to other people, it's like, what is it that that I'm going to say to them? How am I going to initiate a conversation with these people? And I don't even know what it is that they are talking about. And you've got all these talking points in your head, but you don't know how to be able to um, instigate them into like a um, a discussion or a... uh, into a discussion or, or, or to a debate or any, or any type of format that you want to use when you're wanting to communicate with other people within a yeah. social structured environment. And well, I've, been, you're, I've you're- been lucky enough because I've been able to set up my home, my own like, as I found out it now, it's known as a home office broadcasting outlet or hobo. And sending all that up, (laughs) I've been able to continue my work as a journalist. Well, being a journalist and story producer for The Wire, which is the National Independent Current Affairs Program that goes out on community radio and also on Indigenous radio networks. And, of course, I've been doing this podcast as the solo producer, presenter and distributor So I've been doing the multiple, um, I've I've been multitasking in trying to get this podcast out there to people. And I do feel like having to be able to be reliant on my own being, having to be more reliant on my own skills and talents and, and having to instigate a whole strategy for me to wanting to do other things besides wanting to stare at the ceiling all day and thinking, what am I going to be doing with myself? Is this how, how is it going to be for the next, for the next few what, few months? Why are we having to make sure that we, we're shielding ourselves from contracting this virus? And I just don't know how anyone would be able to, to get through this. But luckily, I haven't had a severe side effect of not being able to be as social as I was before. Everyone had to self-isolate and go into lockdown.
1: As a fellow introvert, Jared, so um, I believe you know, introverts of the world unite, um, yes. and, and slow, slowly, slowly, and quietly take over the world. Uh, the, <laughs>
0: we the, certainly are going to be taken over.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, well. Well, in all honesty, one of the things that I think Corona twenty twenty has brought out is, um, you know, that this opportunity to think about how we do spend time on our own how we do kind of, um, you know, survive without the external world, you know, like, in, in, you know, friends and family and all that constant contact. And I think that there's a lot that introverts can teach other people. So you're saying that your world or your life hasn't changed as significantly as perhaps some other people. And I think there's a lot that people can learn from you, you know, like um, how you go about, um, um, you know, creating a world where you're self-sufficient and independent. And, and, you know and through to how people can maybe integrate that into their lives I know that for many years people people have been quite confused about how I'll go off traveling around the world for you know maybe three months at a time and I'll go how do you do that by yourself and what do you do and who do you talk to and often I'm just riding and walking around and sipping cups of tea and taking photos and all the rest of it but you know it's one of those things where i am incredibly content with my own company don't get me wrong you know and as we were talking about before this podcast went to air what what i've surprised myself with is i've i've been missing variety in my life so i i I do love time with myself but i also get incredibly sick of myself like (laughs) i can get bored with myself i can get you know um i'm guilty of that too yeah, of course. Right. So, you know, I, I, um, I must admit, I didn't fully appreciate how much variety I did have in my life before we went into lockdown. So, you know, my, my life and my work is about catching up with people. Um, I must admit, I'm, I'm nervous about when lockdown, lockdown lifts because when I see people for years, people know that the first thing that I'm going to do is bear hug them. And you know, I'm I'm not sure about yourself, but in the LGBTIQ community, there's a lot of what we're, we're very much huggers and kisses. Um,
0: yes, so, yes. So
1: so when we see each other, and so I'm I'm used to there are people who I've been hugging, you know been hugging and kissing for you know 20 years, and I'm nervous about when I see them for the first time about how I'm going to adjust to that because my, my instinct will be to grab them and bear hug them. And, um, you know, I, I know that I've had lots of people who have, you know, even said this to me, they just go, this, this, this pandemic makes me want to bear hug people even more, even though that's the thing that we least need to do. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to have to be really, really careful once they, they open the gates when I go out running with yeah. society.
0: You have to yeah. restrain yourself, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I, I'll try, Jared, I'll try. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I totally do agree with you with everything that, that you've just said. We do have to put more focus on being self sufficient and self reliant on how we live our lives. And that includes do we have to spend more time inside rather than wanting to venture into, into the outdoors and wanting to become more, so less or more socially inept with other people? And I think when we do get to the other side of COVID-19, that people will have all these questions that they do kind of figure out what, how they will be able to answer them. Because you can have these philosophical existential questions that you want people to try to give out, whether it is that you want them to tell you about how you can resolve them. But the problem with that is... Why we need to figure this out, why it is that a lot of people who don't have the, the confidence to wanting to engage in those type, of, those type of settings and environments, because some people just don't like to communicate with people, with, um, face-to-face They like to do it with a, a barrier put between them. And what yes. I feel that that is, no matter the level of your your social interaction or social interactivity, you do need to give some 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 you need to give a bit of like um leeway and some consideration for people to wanting to know how they can go about wanting to communicate with you or with your family, your friends, or or even strangers people um, those who you don't know anything about.
1: You know, what I think about what you said there is that you're right, is that, that going forward, I think we'll, we'll think very, very differently about the way in which we communicate with each other. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So, so there, there are two.
0: Oh, so you're going to give me two is, examples. So I'll give you, well, I'm just
1: thinking of two examples, right? So the first one is, is that I've, I, you know, a lot of my work is, is face-to-face and um, I had a meeting with a colleague. Where well, we had to discuss some important things, and I, I must admit, I went into a, a Zoom has always been there, and I must admit, going into this Zoom meeting for the first time with this colleague, I was, uh, I was underestimating how we were going to work together. So I thought, look, we'll do this, but it, it, you know, it probably, I don't know, like I was thinking that then we needed to be together for there to be this magic or for for us to get these outcomes for a project that we were talking about, and. I must admit, I, I forgot after a while that we were on Zoom. I was so I, I was like I was really really engaged in, and enthralled and in what my colleague was saying, and it just made me it made me rethink that me kind of poo pooing and thinking that, that that Zoom or or Skype or something like that was a secondary way of meeting. It, it kind of made me think again. And then the, the the second example was when I was I had a full day workshop. So it was literally a seven and a half hour workshop that uh, I was asked to be involved in. And I must admit, I expected it to be to be bored and to be tired by the end of this big, long day. And I was so pleasantly surprised like i I was maybe maybe guess because I had really low expectations. But I was so happy by the end of it because for seven and a half hours, I was engaged with a group of people from a whole bunch of different places. So I think going forward, I'd like to do that, but, but even even rather than thinking I have to meet people in person, one of the options I'd like to give them is not only let's do this by phone call, but is to say, would you prefer to do this by Zoom? And like you said, it just, it, 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 it takes into account people's communication preferences. And yes. I, I, I think before this, and I, I'd be guilty of this, I'd be I'd be thinking, well, why would you want to kind of catch up or why couldn't we make this a phone call? I, I really... I think there'd be more questions that would be asked and I, I hope that going forward we see that as a viable thing and we don't question or interrogate people who say that that's the best form of them communicating.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want people to be too afraid or petrified that they will. this is how they're going to be talking to people, be conversing with them, including like where they had to go to work or where they would have to do like recreational and social events right through their own computer, right through their own laptop or PC. But they don't need to be absconded by other people, those that we know, for doing this, because this is probably how everyone be living their lives for here on in. That's if would be able to have some sense of, of normalcy after COVID-19 is over. But yes. you have to give, you have to be uh, considerate and understanding to those who do need to be able to use these devices and, and technologies. Because, because there is no other way for them to be able to communicate with another person, whether it is within the personal or professional context. And yeah. I do find it here, especially with the LGBTIQ plus community, and this is going to become to my next question to you. What has been the direct or the indirect effect of the pandemic for those in our community? How do you feel that they have been, been trying to comprehend having to change their whole, <laughs> having to change the way they go about cohabitating within those who live in our community?
1: Oh, look! Look! I reckon. I reckon. There's a whole range of experiences. One. One of the. One of the things that I'm conscious of, though, is that you know, if I think about. The majority of my work in the LGBTIQ space over the years has been in rural communities, so in country towns. And, and one of the things I think about a lot is about isolation. And one of the things that came through really, really quickly when the lockdown happened was the, was the isolation potential. And I think that, if anything, I, I think that something like a lockdown is only going to exacerbate, intensify any isolation that someone might be feeling. So, for example, you know, I know that there are particular people, you know, in, in even Victorian country towns where, you know, they might get out once a week and walk down to the local community centre or the hospital or the whatever it is and, and have a cup of tea or say good day to, to particular people. And even though that's not everything, at least something, it's, it's breaking down that isolation in their local community. And, and I just get worried that people who were managing their isolation and managing their mental health in those kind of simple ways with with basic human contact, I really worry about what what's happening for them. So, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people have have gone online, but one thing I'm conscious of, and this is this, this, this is particularly the same for when the Marriage Quality Postal Survey was happening, is that I find that in times of stress. You know, often, often politicians will say, you know, when, when things get tough, Australians come together and, you know, they bring out the best in each other and all the rest of it. But what, what LGBTIQ people have said to me is that, you know, through the bushfires, through the Postal Survey for Marriage Equality, and I imagine that we'll hear more and more about this now through lockdown, is that when people are under stress, they become more homophobic or more transphobic or biophobic, not less. And so I wonder about you know how much of that is continuing to happen online or if that's intensified. I look. I think that those people who already had supports are probably going to be okay. I'm just worried about those people who might have, might not have those supports and suddenly have gone online and have to navigate that with um, what we know is. There's a lot, let's just say this, there's a lot more bad behaviour that's going online, not less, during lockdown times as people become more frustrated, bored, disappoint, disappointed, angry um, and looking for scapegoats. And we know that the LGBTIQ people are often, you know, one of the first cabs, you know, off the rank for people to scapegoat and to lash out at. So, so that's, what, that's what I'd say about that. Having said that, you know, we do know that LGBTIQ people have this incredible history of being resilient. And I don't think we should take that for granted. But, you know, I, I've seen organisations doing great things. I've seen communities doing great things. Um, so, for example, I just got an invite for Ida Hobbit Day. So we know the 17th of May is going to be big. You know, usually people would gather it as people. But now I know that, you know, there's particular country communities that are, are doing a watch party online. So they're watching a movie together online. And they're going to be together, you know, in their homes, kind of sharing that event and, and other ways in which they're trying to do things by, you know, via Zoom and by phone, et cetera. I just, I just like that, you know, people are trying to adapt and that they, they even though, you know, the other thing I'd say too is that, you know, I know individuals that are doing a, a lot of work to reach out in their community. So if I think about, you know, people, places like Ballarat and Horsham and all these other places in Victoria where I know people are actively reaching out and making sure that people are okay you know, in dropping off hampers and all the rest of it. So I think, um, like I said, I think it's a mixed thing. I'm really worried about social isolation, but I also want to say that there's, there's a lot of LGBTIQ people who are doing some great stuff, and I, sheesh, I hope it continues.
0: Yeah, I also hope that, this is, that it continues even during or after the pandemic um, dissipates.
1: So not only is it Jared, not, not only is it the introverts who are going to get together and take over the world. It's the LGBTIQ introverts in the world. That yes, and the disability and community.
0: The We're all going yes. to be the new world leaders, having to reform and to overhaul the law, the laws, policies, and practices on each and every continent. <laughs> I,
1: I, I look, I look forward to your daily press conferences, conferences on Zoom, Jared, and to following your advice, advice on the lifting of restrictions.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, um, a decriminalisation of uh, homosexuality and basically queer life from other countries and regions where people who are a part of that community haven't been able to openly, dis- or openly display that part of their own demeanour, their whole being and their whole identity. So I just so, to ask, Daniel, yeah. I actually found out that you and I have been uh, associates or, and friends for a decade.
1: That doesn't surprise me, Jarrod. <laughs> and I think I know the connection. I'm, 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 I'm going to guess this and let's do this on air so I could potentially really embarrass myself. But in 2010, I drove around the country in my openly gay truck called Bruce. To challenge homophobia one cover at the time. And my focus was on regional rule and remote Australia. And one of the, so I not only drove out from um, Geelong, which is where I was born and bred, but I, I went to drive clockwise around the country. And the first place I arrived on my trip week one was Mount Gambier. And then the second place I landed was Adelaide. And I know that I went along to, now. Is, am I right in saying it was Radio Adelaide? Yes, yes, interview.
0: Radio uh, Radio Adelaide. That's right. th- that's I, the, the I, name of the oldest continuing community radio station that still broadcasts.
1: See, perfect. And, and it has and, been and
0: since 1972.
1: And I did an interview there with with I believe it was with the Wire. But that's my recollection. I could be completely wrong. So it makes sense that. I don't think we met at that stage.
0: Oh, uh, no, um, no. It, that was before my time. I didn't start so, with, with the war until 2018.
1: Right, right, right. So, I was, okay, so there you go. I thought that maybe you were attached to the station. I, I do also know, okay, this is the other thing, is that I do remember the first time we met, was a year or two later. So I think you, you were maybe following me in and around. There was stuff around marriage equality. And I remember when we went to the old AIDS Council
0: building. Yes, in, yes, um, yes, yes. It was yes, the it was the former um, headquarters for, for the now defunct South Australian AIDS Council. Um, it, it was based in, Ch- in Chiswick? No, 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 in, yes. in, in, in Kessick. 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 Guess, yeah and I and I went there as one of the participants for a marriage equality workshop, and you were the facilitator of that workshop. you and Shirley argent
1: absolutely so we were so we were lucky enough to be asked by then Australian marriage equality to go around the country um, and to run those workshops, and that was really about um about uh, getting together people in their communities who could do two things. And the first thing was to share their story with everyday people and also if they felt brave enough with politicians and with the media as well. But most importantly, their everyday networks, because um, you know, the belief was that we had to start with the people around us. And then the second thing we were trying to do was to activate people to go and write letters and go and see their local MPs to get them on side for marriage equality and I remember that you were back then earmarked and seemed to be a dynamo um, and someone who was totally uh, into marriage
0: uh, marriage equality yes I was and I still am (laughs) and you continue to be right So, Mm so there you
1: go so I remember that's the first time that we met but I don't know. How, I don't know why, why, how we would have um, crossed each other's paths, paths online. But the the thing I'd say too, Jared, is that uh, uh, you know, thinking about that whole thing about people's preferred means of communication and also being online and being introverted, is that you know, most of our, our contacts over the years, over the many many years that we've been connected, has been online. I, I remember that we've. I think we've met twice in person, if not maybe three times. But yeah, I, know I think it'd be about three think or think four
0: of, times. Yeah,
1: yeah, that we've met. So it's it's a but, but just it's really interesting that we've you know we've had this this, this connection and this this um, friendship and friendship and collegship for so long. But we can we've been able to maintain that happily without seeing each other every week.
0: And ironically, i the last time I saw you was at, at the Better Together conference that that was held in Melbourne a few months before COVID nineteen descended on Australia. <laughs> so go yeah, see so <laughs>
1: So a huge, yeah, a huge, a huge <laughs> gathering of awesome people all in the one place, and luckily I got to be with you all.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, did you see me at the disability perennial?
1: Uh, I don't think I did. No,
0: oh, it's a shame because I, I was actually one of the um speak. I was, I was, I was one of the speakers there.
1: Oh, no, I lied. The panel, the panel. You said the panel where you were, on, you were all on stage. Yeah, the disability was,
0: um, perennial, perennial. Yeah. And it was
1: uh, Grant Maynard was the was, was up there, I think, um, facilitating along with a bunch of yes, others. Yes, he was, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely, I was. Sorry, I apologise. Yes, that was, And and what I think that was is that, that was the, the second one that I'd been to and I remember tweeting about this that I said that there was, there was an earthquake across the LGBTIQ landscape that day. That was um, people living with disability who were claiming space and having their voices heard in a, in, a, in a really loud, significant, prolonged way that had never been done before. So you're part of history.
0: <laughs> I never thought of myself as being a pioneer of history, <laughs> being someone that can be the one who instigates and enforces a culture of change or even a climate of evolution. That's just really something that I never thought that I could add to my list of achievements and credentials as a as a disability and as an L G B T I Q A LGBTIQA plus activist and advocate?
1: I um, I hope that you will. And what I I will say is that the people who I've met who, if if I think about all the people that I've met over the years who've created change, they don't set out to be a pioneer. They don't call themselves a pioneer. They don't think about themselves as a pioneer. They just do it. So they just, they just live their lives and they recognise and identify that there's something important that needs to change. They do their best with contribution and their own story and their own voice and their own, you know, lobbying, et cetera, and influence, and then things generally change. And I don't think many people go, wake up and say, I feel like being a pioneer. How do I go about that? I think that just people just, they either are or they're not. And I think that... Um, Uh, Whether or not you set out to have that in your resume, you certainly do now.
0: Yeah, well, I always did see myself now, well, now in the last few years, as a purveyor of inclusion and change and diversity because I never saw myself as any type of leader or or activist or even as a influencer in any community. As I remember, because I remember being young when I was, Way, way, way young, I didn't really feel like that. that I had nothing to contribute to the world, and I didn't feel like that I was going to present or to give anything to society. That and I've and and there were there were were some times where I I felt that I was just going to be just another home. I'm nobody. Just living life as it is each and every day. You know, you wake up, you do whatever it is you do, you go to sleep and you repeat the whole process all over again. So I'm just glad Mm -hmm. I've been able to venture out and to kind of like come out of my cocoon and to prove to the naysayers that any person, including those with disability, can speak up and they can be loud and they can be, fears so they can be dominant and they can be able to get their voices heard even though there might be a lot of people who who don't want to to listen to it
1: yeah and i think i I think you know this is this is a probably a series of podcasts uh, or an entire entire podcast subject which is you know what is leadership and how do you do that and you know again you, you you've just given some examples about how you've done that is that yeah, you know, again, I don't think people the, the people who I see as the real leaders again aren't calling themselves leaders. They're they're demonstrating leadership in their everyday life. And and you know if I if I think about it, most people that I meet. So you know I work with tens of thousands of you know young people and tens of thousands of teachers and health professionals and homophobia curious others and people in. You know, collected stories right across Australia um, from LGBTIQ people in regional or you know remote areas, and and most of them tell me that they just want to live an everyday life. They don't want to be leaders. They don't want to be change makers. They don't think that they're anything special. They just just say, I just want to kind of get on with my everyday life and fit in like everybody else and kind of go about my life. What what I find is is that the people who step up and they are they become leaders are those that aren't able to live an everyday life because of who they are, who and what they are. So, you know, a lot of people would like to live an everyday life, but, you know, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, sexism, all these other things come in. And if there were no problems with them, I think a lot of people wouldn't be doing leadership. They'd just be kind of happily in the suburbs, going about their their day and almost living as if they're in lockdown. So, you know, again, I reckon, yeah, I reckon that there's different ways of doing leadership. And again, you've you've been able to do that. And and again, I keep saying this is the fact that you're doing this podcast is an example of leadership, but I don't think it's necessarily in a leadership book or a manual about how to do it.
0: Hmm. I also wanted to talk about your presence on social media, particularly on Instagram. I've been noticing you've been posting a lot of first latent images on your um within, on your stories. And I gotta yeah. say you really do have a way to coax in a lot of attention of showing everyone that you can make best off, of a of a terrible situation. Could you, be, yeah, well, do you want to talk about that more, or
1: uh, look? Look, what, um, what what would I say about my Instagram? So I got into Instagram by accident. I am a late adopter, so I know that they've they've often said that gay men have been early adopters throughout the history of time. I'm I'm if by that measure, I'm a bad gay man in that I I'm a late adopter. So I got into Instagram late, and one of the things is is that I try and I set myself a challenge of posting a photo every single day. And one of the, you know, so one day it might be travel. Um, I love abandoned buildings, so that's another day. I love tennis, that's another day. So I I kind of sit out days of the week. And every Saturday I put um, usually a a topless photo on there. And what I I try and do is show that, you know, I, I guess, you know, like obviously... Certain people do, but I try and disrupt people's ideas. I think for lots of years on Facebook and Twitter, people think of me as a goody two-shoes and people say, you're so serious and, you know, we never see anything but the professional from you and all the stuff that you do in LGBTIQ and family violence work, etc. And I, I think it was almost a way that of me posting something to disrupt and show that I was a, I was a person outside of just my work, so on Instagram, I show that, you know, like I said, I'm a tennis player. I, I, I run around abandoned buildings, even though my mother would like me not to. You know, I, I, I do other things. And, and I also occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll take off my top. It tells me a lot about people when I meet them, about whether they... Some people who go, all you do is post topless shots. And they just go, well, you haven't seen my Instagram because that's a lie. But it's what people focus on that, mm-hmm. that interests me.
0: And um, you're just and, giving and, and, what it is, the what the consumers want. You're giving them yeah. a lot of sexiness and a lot of oozing of queer a lot of the expenditure of queer sex appeal.
1: Well well, I'm trying I'm trying to make look look I look without you know I look it's a top of the shot like you know like I, I can I can settle down about that and not think I'm doing too much, but I'm trying to express myself but I'm also trying to be cheeky and I'm trying to be a little bit subversive with the stuff that I do. So uh Yeah, I I, I just try and um, I'll say this is that I am an introvert, but one of the ways because you know, some people will say, judging by your Instagram, I don't think you're an introvert. I think you're an extrovert because you post kind of these, these pictures. But what I would say is, is that it's kind of like this, this way of expressing myself. And it's not just in terms of photos of me, but it's, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to take photos of the, the, of the world around me. and I like to share that. And yes, sometimes that's a topless, you know, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I show. And it's nice that the people who have, if I, if, if people were just following me for topless shots, they'd get bored after a week because I post so many other things. And it's just been interesting to the people that I've met and the, the friendships and the relationships that I've gained as a result of doing that on Instagram. So again, I I don't want to kind of like um, make it out like it's some huge project or anything, but it's just, it's, it's an outlet for me. It's an outlet for expressing myself, but also probably sometimes I can get frustrated because, you know, particularly in Victoria, I can sometimes get pigeonholed that there's this serious goody two shoes. And it's probably like me being a little bit. (laughs) You're releasing your your, your, inner wild
0: child
1: yeah 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 yeah. and if that's my wild child it's pretty tame hey so
0: well <laughs> shall I say you're in a sexy wild child
1: <laughs> well look sex- sexiness is in the eye of the beholder and um the most important the most important thing that I think that we you know can can do is to um is that if we feel sexy we are sexy um rather than people thinking that we're sexy so I, I think that um we know that, that if you can feel sexy in and of yourself, it, it attracts a whole bunch of other people. And um, I, I don't think I'm different to a whole lot of other people and that I've I've had a really long journey to be comfortable in my own skin because certainly that wasn't how I was growing up and through my 20s. So it's just nice to, to loosen up about that and present a different picture because, you know, look, every, as everyone knows, I'm a big, awkward scruff ball and, you know, some people like to look at that.
0: Well, Daniel, I've really been loving hearing all this about you and and getting you to open up about how you've been coming, having to, to, to adapt, and how you are coping with this whole unfortunate time that we happen to be in. Before you do go, I want to ask you my last question. And this is the question I put to those who I have had on here before What tips? and or advice can you give to those who are currently stuck at home, self-isolating and quarantining?
1: I think the, the first thing that I've been saying to everybody, and I think that by now everybody is doing this anyway is focusing on what they can control. I think if people focus on what they can control, and sometimes all that is is maybe making your bed or making sure that you drink you know one and a half to two liters of water every day. I think that that's the first thing and recognizing when you, you can't control sort of certain things. The second thing is is that I really wish for a lot of people that they limit their media and social media consumption and that, that people just think about how much they're spending um, time with that and think about what might be some other strategies to get information or to, to basically clock off from all of that information and everybody's, you know, because a lot of that seems to be people's opinions. And the third thing is is that I really, um, it's, it's kind of like a bi-directional thing. I, I really hope that people reach out. So if you need assistance, support, a friendly ear, you know, you need material, practical food money, whatever it is, that you do reach out. And there's, there's a number of, you know, different services and options and all the rest of it. But equally, that, that if you're able and if you, you know, I'm a big believer in your leverage privilege, and I'm lucky that I've got a lot of privilege to leverage, is that, you know, I, I want to reach out to other people and I hope that other people reach out to the people around them just to check in and see what it is that you can do to make sure that everybody's okay. And everyone has what they need. And, and I, I'm a big believer that, that as a result of this pandemic, I personally, I hope other people will take this up too, but I personally need to be kinder. I need to be more polite than ever before. But more, most importantly, I need to be more generous. That's not going to end in the next week or two. That's going to be for six to 12 months down the track. So you know, be kind, be generous, be polite where you can and stay off social media if it's giving you the shits.
0: Mm. Well, that is the perfect idea of wanting to make sure that you can relieve your stress levels and, yes. make it, and also making sure that you can reduce the amount of content that you try to ingest or try to insert into your brain where you know it's not going to be where it won't be of any help or detriment to you.
1: Correct, okay. correct.
0: Thank you again there, Daniel. And I hope you stay safe and, and I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to talk again soon.
1: We will. Thank you so much, Jared.
0: Ah, well, Daniel, I will always have time for a good good catch-up, even if it might be a a ton-in-cheek one. (laughs) Not that I'm saying that we're too cheeky in terms of our sexiness and sassiness, even though you're more sexually charged than I am. (laughs) And don't forget, if you want to visit any of Daniel's social media accounts, all you need to do is just type in his name on the search bar, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you will automatically see his name pop up right in front of you. And you'll see every single image that your mind and your heart and every part of your body just will desire, and will want to be able to ravish. <laughs> but anyway, well, this is we're now coming already to the end of another episode of WTQ. I hope everyone liked it, and you'll be hearing another one again at the same time next week. And if you want to revisit any of my previous episodes of WTQ, You can find them on Spotify, as they are all available there to stream or to download. So enjoy the rest of your week or your weekend. Be sure, even though that we are easing restrictions, please, please take care of yourself and for the health of those that you love and adore. Alright, see you all. Bye bye.